Welcome to the Taiwanese Diaspora Podcast, where we use personal storytelling to connect people of Taiwanese heritage from all around the world. I am Cynthia, and I'm excited to use this podcast platform as a way to explore what it means to be Taiwanese X. This is episode 38. It's my pleasure having Francesca join us today. She's better known as Attorney on a Journey, and she joins us today to talk about her journey in leaving law and really how if there's any sort of toxic situation you're in, it's probably best to take a break, leave that, create space to do something different. And for her, that came in the form of becoming a travel blogger and now a video blogger, a vlogger in Taiwan where she lives with her husband. And this is actually a conversation long time coming. And just for full disclosure, she reached out back in late 2019, right after I broke my ankle. Um, so I was recovering for a couple months there. And then I had to do some work on my side before we actually did the interview. So this episode is coming out about half a year after we talked, um, which was back in Thanksgiving of 2020. We touch on topics relevant to November. So you'll hear about Thanksgiving, indigenous tribes, voting, and democracy. We took most of that conversation offline, but left some of it in just so you have a little flavor. So I'm sorry to be so late in dropping this episode. I mean, lots of excuses, right? Life got busy. I switched jobs. I was prioritizing training for a half marathon. I wrestled with not wanting to edit some of the audio difficulties, but feeling like I needed to edit these podcasts. In any case, better late than never, here's to being a C student. Hope you enjoy the conversation. This episode is mostly in English. 大家好,欢迎收听台湾人网络广播。我是阿秀,用这个平台来跟华侨华裔的台湾人聊他们的生活过程和未来的梦想。我们今天用的语言大部分是英文这是第三十八集我们今天欢迎francesca她之前在美国当律师然后后来做了几个月就离开法律她前几年跟先生搬到台湾后来她开始了一个旅游的 Thanks for reaching out and thanks for being patient with me as I oh, yeah, no problem. took forever to get back to you. <laughs> oh, no, I I mean, I dropped the ball too. So I'm, I appreciate you taking the time for this. No, I'm excited that you reached out. Okay, Francesca, just introduce yourself. Tell us where you are right now and what you're up to. Okay, sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Francesca. Chinese name is Zhang Sijia. I am half Taiwanese American, um, born and raised in California, San Francisco Bay Area. And I have been living in Taiwan for the past three years as a, uh, let's call it a retired attorney, now turned travel blogger, Taiwan. That's so cool. <laughs> do I do that section in Chinese? Uh, oh, okay, I'll try. I'll try. Um, 大家好,我是张思佳,我是台湾的,怎么讲,华侨吧,其实我是混血,我妈妈是美国人,爸爸是台湾人,我最近我都住在台湾,我以前当律师,但是目前我在台湾当blogger。那 uh, 
，你是可以吗？很<笑>好，非常好。呃，你是什么时候离开法律？<笑>七年前。为什么？对我让我考上班，然后三三个月后就走了，离<笑>开了，就放弃了。Why? How? Tell us more. I mean, you were so hard in law school, I bet. <sighs> yes. So, I, of course, I, I'm. Yeah, to get to you know, pass the bar is just a challenge in itself. But I think I knew、um, during my second year of law school that it wasn't something that was right for my heart.、Um, the actual, I mean, it, this is the thing about the American education system, right? Is like when you go to law school, you don't know what lawyers do. You really don't there unless you have an internship before, or unless you. Paralegal in in a law office, which honestly, that ninety percent of people who go to law school don't. They don't have that experience. You don't know what it is to be a lawyer. And so, by my second year of law school, I felt this profession doesn't suit me. And then, as I started practicing, you know, after law school, after the bar, I realized it's not a sustainable、um, profession because it is so unhealthy. Unhealthy in the sense that. You know your body suffers.、Um, it's long, long hours, right? You're you're always sitting nine to twelve hours a day in a chair working, which is we know, which is like the new smoking, right? And then also,、um, I feel like there needs to be a lot of reform in the legal industry.、Um, it's a very toxic work environment for the most part, let's say. And because of all of this, right? I didn't feel like I was helping anyone, or I couldn't help anyone. Because it was taking such a toll on me, and so that's when I, you know, I left. I passed the bar, and then three months after I passed the bar, I was practicing. But I got a better job opportunity, and honestly, the hours were better. It paid better. It was more fulfilling to me, and I left. And then, so what did you end up doing before you moved to Taiwan? I stayed in legal services. I was doing basically marketing and business development for services that、uh, provided.、Uh, You know whether it was software or administration、um, services to law firms for lawyers. So my clients were still lawyers, and I was still in a related industry. So I was still, you know, using my law degree、um, every day to an extent. But I was just much more fascinated with the marketing side. You know, I eventually, before I left for Taiwan, I, I was in tech in San Francisco. I was a former lawyer in tech because I was marketing a, a legal software. So let's talk about what you're doing now. How did you find yourself in Taiwan? Of all countries you could go to, and how did you become a blogger or a blogger? So okay, so my relationship to Taiwan is very interesting. So first of all, I'm half Taiwanese, right? So I'm not both of my parents. So my father is Taiwanese, and he left the island when he was very young. He was nine years old. Left, and you know, at the time, of,、um, Taiwan was politically pretty unstable, and that was one of the reasons why they, they left. They emigrated to Okinawa, and then eventually to Guam, and then California, where I was born. So, growing up,、um, I was quite disconnected, I think, to Taiwan. Not by any, not because of, not due to anyone's fault, but just because of you know my, my father's immigration history, right? He's like his mother tongue is actually English, not. Mandarin or Taiwanese, and so he's also like a hybrid of, you know, he's he's more Taiwanese American too, right? Than Taiwanese. So I grew up、um, a little bit disconnected from the island, but I I did want to learn the language at least. I always wanted to learn the language, so I started studying 
Mandarin in college at UCLA. And then the very first time I went to Taiwan, I studied abroad um, at Haida, um, NTU National Taiwan University for my junior year to learn both Mandarin and actually Taiwanese too. So I took a Taiwanese class, which was so difficult because the class was taught in Mandarin and I didn't speak Mandarin yet. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was, um, it was a very important moment to me because my dad went back with me. And that was the first time in over 50 years that he had been back to his motherland. Yeah, so my first time going to Taiwan as a 19-year-old junior in college and my father's first time returning. Were your grandparents in Japan? So what's funny is they actually were, my entire life, uh, you know, since I was born, they, my grandparents, my ama, they were in the States. But after I, I eventually moved back to Taiwan for a little bit, they decided to buy a house back in Kaohsiung is where they're from. So yeah, that was, that was such an experience because it was the first time in my life that I could actually, uh, like, for Chinese New Year. It's the first time I got to like actually go home, like, you know, back to home, my home in Taiwan for Chinese New Year. That was, that was really cool. But um, anyway, yeah, so then, so that was the first time I stepped foot on this island. Um, I fell in love with Taiwan and after I, I did, I just did a three month study abroad program. I went back and graduated college. And as soon as I graduated, I moved back to Taiwan. That's how much I missed it. And, you know, the easiest way at the time to live in Taiwan, because I, I didn't have any, I wasn't a citizen. I didn't have any type of residency. Uh, I became an English teacher in Taiwan. So I taught for two years, uh, right after college met my future husband and uh, he's actually he is also a weird hybrid um so he's Taiwanese his parents are Taiwanese he was born in the states moved back to Taiwan when he was five but went to the American school his whole life in Taipei you know again his it's like my father English is more of his mother tongue but of course he speaks Mandarin fluently he relates to the culture his parents have always been in Taiwan um, he went to college in the state. So I met my future husband during those in 2010, right? We moved back to the States. And that's as soon as we moved back to the States, I started law school. We got married, right? I quit the law. And then his company asked him, would you want to relocate to Taiwan? <laughs> was he working for an American firm or a Taiwan firm or some other multinational he was working for an American company. And again, this is Han Yuan Fun. In tech? Uh, no, not in tech. He's, a, he's an engineer, but this is just so like, or destiny or something. But when he interviewed for this company, he had no idea that all of their suppliers, all of their, and their warehouse was in Taiwan. There's no idea when he went to the interview. And he's actually the, like, the first person who speaks Mandarin that they hired. I think it's really interesting, right? So the business uh, has been conducting business in Taiwan for 30 years without ever having a Mandarin speaker. So yeah, he's worked for this company. And then after a year after we're married, they're like, would you ever want to live in Taiwan? Because he, he was traveling to Taiwan, right? For the business already. And at first I was like, no, I don't want to move back. You know, like I've worked so hard to A, become a lawyer, B, unbecome a lawyer, right? Figure out what it is that I want. And I was, or, you know, I was happy with the career that I 
had, but we decided to take a risk because um, it was just such a great opportunity. And, you know, we didn't have anything tying us to the States. We didn't have a house, we didn't have children. And so we're like, I was like, yeah, why not? Because for me, I, I, I've always had this attitude where it's like, obviously like a career doesn't define me. <laughs> if it did, I would have stopped a lot and like put up with it. But I was like, why not? Let's just, let's go for an adventure. And so we moved back to Taiwan three years ago. So then here's like where the journey starts, right? <laughs> I reached out to a magazine called Travel in Taiwan. Um, I had actually written for the editor while I was an English teacher, just as like some freelance tapes. Um, reached out to the editor. He was still here. He still wanted me to write for him. So I started writing for this magazine called Travel in Taiwan. And it's an English magazine um, sponsored by the Taiwan Guangwangji, the tourism bureau. And it's distributed around the world to promote Taiwan. Um, so yeah, I went back into travel writing. My writing uh, caught the attention of a blog called Taiwan Scene, which is the official blog of a tour company here in Taiwan called My Taiwan Tour. So long story short, I, I became a full-time employee, employee for My Taiwan Tour. And part of my job was to scout the entire island for like just very off the beaten track, very unique, very like we call it slow travel, deep travel, right? Manuyo or just or deep travel, like very like experiences in Taiwan that you would never ever find in a tour guide. My specific target, right, was to create tours for foreigners that came to Taiwan. And so a lot of there are a lot of experiences, like for example, a lot of um Yuanjumi are developing their communities. And there's a lot of what we call all of these youth have, who have returned to their aging towns that they left. They've come home from the big cities to develop their communities again, right? And they're doing that through tourism. So I was exploring that. Um, amazing experiences, right? What a dream job, by the way. <laughs> right, but then because of COVID, I lost my job. Because there's no more, you know, outsiders and foreigners, tourists are not allowed in Taiwan, um, which is, you know, very, I'm thankful for that. Like, I'm thankful for Taiwan's exceptional response to COVID. We don't have COVID, right? I, you said at the beginning of this interview, we've gone over 200 days without a domestic case of COVID. Businesses are still running. People still see each other. Restaurants, cafes, movie theaters, everything is open. Um, and actually, because of that, domestic tourism is at an all-time high. Such a dream. <laughs> I have a small yeah. confession. The first time I saw your Instagram posts, I might take this out because, like, you might hate me afterwards. <laughs> no, tell me. I want to know. Well, so the first time I saw you, I was, or, like, saw your Instagram post, I was like, wow, that's, like, really awesome. Like, what a dream job. But then I had this, I'm, like, not proud of this, like, super jealous hater sort of, mm. like, reaction to okay. be, like, Wait, I want that. How do you make that? Who is this white girl? Um, <laughs> I don't think it was a white girl thing. I went to this travel blogger conference a year and a half ago when I was like, trying to figure out how to leave the corporate world. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how do people make this work? A lot of the travel blogger lifestyle, like the ones with like 17 million followers, etc. It feels kind of like a sellout to the local places that they're, it, it seems a little bit exploitive. Sure, totally. So, like, one, I apologize for my reaction. <laughs> and two, 
No, it's okay. I don't, no offense taken. But I think it's really amazing what you're doing to promote Taiwan, right? So thank you. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest with you right now for me and like, you can leave this in travel blogging right now does not pay the bills for me. Right. I am honest with people that I have a supportive spouse who lets me do this and I'm grateful for that. And even that, like saying that was something that it took me a while to accept because I was like, oh, I have to work. You know, I have to be financially independent. I have to make my own money. I don't want to rely on a man. But then losing my job, I was kind of like, okay, you know what? I surrender, right? Like I have no control right now over what has happened. I, we have, nobody has control over COVID, everything, that, how, just how the world is changing, right? We have no control. So I was like, okay, let's just, let's just see what happens now. Because, you know, sometimes I think maybe you're, you're given a blessing or like you're given support so that you can do something else. Totally. Right. And that's yeah. kind of how I feel right now. I'm like, okay, maybe I meant to just log. Maybe I'm just meant to share this with the world. Right. And that's, that is what I've been focusing on. Yeah. No, thanks for the honesty on that too. Yeah. There's so much we can go into. When you messaged me, I was recovering from a broken ankle, a broken engagement. <gasps> oh, All so this sorry. like shit. And I was just like, ah, I want the perfect life. <laughs> but it happens for a reason, right? Like it all happens. Oh, a hundred percent. I'm like so in a much better place now, but I think like the projection and stuff of like me onto like whoever else, especially social media, not just you personally. Mm -hmm. I I get it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I have to be reminded that everyone has a battle that they're fighting. And so like, and everyone's very selective about what they post. And anyway, I don't know why, like I felt the need to spew that, but. (laughs) No, I appreciate, I appreciate that because it's, it's honest and it's. We were talking about it. It's like you have no control over the things that happen. You just need to let the universe, right, work sometimes and let it do its its thing. One thing that I've learned from a lot of people I follow and friends who are trying to break out of corporate is that you need to do multiple streams of activities, side gigs, whatever you want to call them. And Mm -hmm. so you also have a business. Yes. Okay, I'm going to say this you can do both, right? Because for the longest time, I was calling my blog a hobby. You know, language is very, very powerful. So when I'm calling it this hobby, it's like myself, I'm not taking it seriously, right? It's like, oh, I'm just treating it like a hobby. It doesn't matter if, I don't know, only 10 people see it or whatever. And then the other part of me was like, well, because again, it's like, I do have financial goals. I don't want to be always dependent on my husband and I, I want to give him some space to do what he wants to right so it's fine for me to make money so then the other part of me is like I really want to help other lawyers who are in my situation or even not just lawyers like like you said anyone who wants to leave corporate anyone who wants to just live their purpose and leave something that's not serving them anymore. so I was like okay I want to be a life coach and so for the longest time I was like that's going to be my business and this blog is going to be my hobby but I hired my own life coach and she was like, no, 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 you can do both. Especially because I was having such a hard time separating myself from the blog because I was like, I love this. Like, I don't want to give this up. Like, you know, we're not, again, it's like this whole idea of like, we're not defined by one title. We're not defined by one career. Like do, do both, do, do everything, do what you, do what makes you happy. 
I think the identity piece is hard. I think for me, when I was going through some job transitions, the unemployment period, that was a huge, that took a lot out of me to let go of, like having the job and the identity ties. Yeah. Yeah. I've been unemployed and it was probably like most depressing feeling I've ever had, like the most depressed I've ever felt just because we're taught like that, that is who we you are. train like your whole life for this. <laughs> yes. It's not just American culture. I think, you know, even Taiwanese culture, it's like, we're not really allowed to have an identity outside of what we do. So I've talked to a couple people today. Um, I talked to a guy this morning who was a lawyer, left law. Nice. And then I went to do a volunteer activity in my neighborhood this morning. And she was a professional ballet dancer, went to law school, also left law. And so you're like the third person. I think there's mm. like a fascinating mm. confluence of like ex-lawyers in my life right now. <laughs> but it's the same theme, right? And like, it doesn't have to be lawyer. It could be, you could be ex-doctors or you could be ex, I don't know, accountants, right? It's, you know, it's the same theme. Okay, so going back to family and travel, have you done trips to Japan to see like where your dad grew up? Or no, but you said he left when he was pretty young. No, yeah, no, actually, that's a good question. So last year, my family came to visit me in Taiwan, and it was the first time we had all gone to Okinawa together as a family. And again, the first time my dad had been there in over 50 years, because he, he left Okinawa when I think he was 16. We went to his hometown. It was crazy. It was trippy. It was for him. I think it was like a very emotional moment because he just all he remembers is um they had to fish for their food, right? They were like very humble. They were a family, very humble means, and so he was. We walked to just like the ocean front where he was like, "Oh, this is where we used to fish." That must have been so powerful. Yeah, really cool to see where your parents come from and how much that location has changed. Yeah. Yeah. So I commented on one of your most recent videos the other day in Jilong, because that's where my dad is from. Yes, yes. So I kind of know Miao Ko, but only a little bit, but I've never really been there for major holidays. And so, mm. but every time we go back, he's like, yeah, you know, back in the day, because like the port isn't, I think maybe now they're make beautifying it, but like 10 years ago, or when I was going, when I went there as a younger child, it was pretty polluted. Yeah. Um, but my dad was saying when he was really little, like they used to just, it was like crystal clear waters. They would just jump in. There was like, you can go like basically snorkeling with a fish and like all this stuff. It's just mm. such a contrast to how it's evolved over the last couple of decades. Hopefully the restoration stuff is going well. My, my dad had, when the first time he came to Taiwan, he didn't, he didn't know what Taipei 101 was. Like it was his first time seeing Taipei 101. And he's like, what? Like Taiwan has, you know, and for a while it was the tallest building in the world, right? He couldn't fathom it because his experience in Taiwan, they were so poor. And he's like, what? This is like a bustling metropolis? Like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I get that. What do you hope to do with the blog and the vlogs? That's a good question. I mean, I want to expand to a broader audience. I think this has to do with my confidence level in my Chinese and my comfort level. For the longest time, I was only doing English, right? English posts, English videos. And I was like, well, that's just kind of my audience. You know, like foreigners who live in Taiwan or foreigners who don't know about Taiwan or English speakers in Taiwan, right? It's like, I, that's who my audience is. But 
it's like, why am I doing this though? It's like, it's important to me that locals, like local Taiwanese know about the culture too, right? And it's like, for me, it's like, that's a part of me too, right? It's like, I'm half Taiwanese. Like, yes, I grew up overseas, but like, I need to share it with that side of me too. And so it's been this, uh, this effort of like trying to speak more Chinese. Like my last video was bilingual where I'm like, I feel so, I feel so self-conscious when I'm speaking Chinese on camera, but I'm like, I need to do it. And I, and I put subtitles, like bilingual subtitles. So I'm trying now, the goal is to expand to the Chinese speaking audience too. And it's been really uh, rewarding. I mean, I feel like, you know, even if I don't speak Chinese perfectly, like Taiwanese people, they're like so grateful for it. <laughs> oh, thank you for trying. Or, you know, they'll always say, you know, like Taiwanese are so like, so kutchy. They're always like, oh, <laughs> like, no, it's really not that good, but thank you. I know it's something I'll, I'll continue to do so more, you know, Chinese speakers can see it and appreciate it. What's your process like? I'm a little bit all over the place and maybe I should streamline, but, you know, I have an Instagram, but I've realized that I really do like the video aspect the best. You know, it's just the easiest way to show, to really show Taiwan. Like, Taiwan is this beautiful, amazing country the nicest, friendliest people. And it's like, you can't, you can't see that from a blog post, right? I mean, and maybe you could see it in a picture, but I just think the video is just the best visual tool to really introduce Taiwan. And so when I go on tours, um, like for example, I collaborate with the government a lot, right? The tours and bureaus here. All I take is my iPhone right now. Honestly, like all those videos are shot on my iPhone. And I have a gimbal, so it's like a little stabilizer so that the video quality is smooth. And then I use apps on my phone right now to edit, put subtitles. For me, that's the, it works and that's the process and everyone has their own process. Like maybe, you know, if I get bigger, more followers, I'll start using more advanced technology or I'll buy a better camera. For me, it's like, as long as I'm getting the message across and the quality is good enough, right? Like, I hope it's good enough for viewers. They don't, or they take well to it because it's stable and it's clear. It's, I, it's you know, HD quality. That's what I've been doing to make videos. Do you do a lot of editing on your stuff or do you like sit on it until like it satisfies you before you release it? I'm trying to get to a point where I just like don't care that much about editing so I can just get it out faster, but then I mm. get all self-conscious so the, about Okay, it. <laughs> so this is, this is some of the best advice I've had recently. Um, came from my life coach, um, Wendy Shu. She's an Asian American as well in the Bay Area. Oh, nice. Um, look her up. She's doing some great things with nonprofit work. Wendy Shu, S-H-E-W. Um, the best advice that I've gotten from her, she's, she said, when you're an entrepreneur, right, doing anything new, think of yourself as a C student, as in, you know, like, iterate, get something out there and be done with it, right? Because things are always going to change. Like you're always learning. You're always improving. And it's like, if you, if you wait to be perfect to start, right? This advice too, like you'll never start. Right. So it's just be a C student, right? It's like, (laughs) it's so hard coming from people. I mean, probably for you too, but for me, it's like a, such a hard mentality to break out of after you have Asian parents. Yes. <laughs> I don't right. think my parents even cared that much. I think it was just like pressure on me to, because I saw it around the me. Yeah. 
And I was like, well, I don't want to live in poverty. I want to like make sure I get out of poverty. Um, but I think when it comes to pursuing this kind of work, right? Yeah. It's like, you have more than enough already, right? Yeah. And it's just like, it, like for me, like the blogging, I just wrote a very, very personal blog post. And for me, I was just like, I, I didn't edit it because I was like, this is how I feel about this trip that I took to Alishan. Like this is, this is how the people on the trip made me feel. And it was, you know, it was one of my, probably the most personal blog posts I've written about because I, I talk about, like I reflect and I talk about, I do talk about my journey again, how I became a blogger and what Taiwan means to me. And then I, of course I was like, the fear comes in. It's like, is this too corny? Are people gonna like this? And I was just like, I'm sharing it. And then it's done. Like, and then you just, again, C student. I, I turned in my homework. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, what you said earlier about like not calling it a hobby, that's something I like had this epiphany, like maybe like a month ago where I was like, no, I should just call mm-hmm. this a business, even though I'm not like monetizing it. But I do spend like it is a, it is a business. so much time on it to try to build it. <laughs> yeah, of course. And it's like, of course, it's, you know, and I think pe- we forget too. It's like when you open a business, of course, it's not perfect. Of course, you're not making tons of money. That's what opening a business is, you know? Like, don't wait, don't wait until you have the confidence. Do it. You know what I mean? Just, you have to just do it. Yes, you student. Do you have aspirations to go beyond Taiwan or is your focus right now purely Taiwan itself? And do you, like, do you plan on doing anything that's not um, location-centric? Like maybe diving into politics or... Mm things that people typically try to shy away from. Mm-hmm. You know, what's funny is that when I started my Instagram and my blog, at the very beginning, of course, this is way before COVID, we could even imagine COVID, right? My original intent was to be like, you know, an international travel blogger. I saw blog posts about Sri Lanka. I made a video about dog sledding in Banff, Canada. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to go all over the world and then do this. And then again, it's like the universe is like telling, or I'm just getting signs like, okay, COVID happened. I'm stuck. Like, I'm, I don't like to say stuck. Like, I, I'm grateful to be stuck in Taiwan. But again, it's like the universe is like, no, no, no. Like, you're, you're showing Taiwan now. <laughs> and I feel like the more that I do that, I'm like, okay, this is great. Like, I, I should be doing this. I should be focused on, you know, just what I've been offered. It's a blessing, really. It's like, I get to it. Like you said, that, you know, the dream job, the opportunity is like, I was given these opportunities to see a part of Taiwan that most people never see in their lifetime. And I have these mediums. I have a a vlog. I have a YouTube channel. I have an Instagram. And so I need to start just sharing Taiwan. What do you miss most about the U.S. Mm. that you don't get to do while you're in Taiwan? Hmm. Let's say pre-COVID because COVID world in the U.S. right now is pretty. <laughs> no, the only the only thing I could say is that like maybe I miss Mexican food <laughs> from, uh, from California, but Taiwan is like it's it's getting so good. There's so many options in Taipei for food. Like we have, I I just wrote this article about how we have almost a hundred vegan restaurants now. What? Yeah, that's you know that's that's a lot. That's huge, and it's like. A vegan culture now. Not that I only eat vegan, but I I do I I try to, I aspire to that, and it's it's just amazing. I think like what this country is capable of, especially being, you know, we're so isolated in many ways from the rest of the world. Like 
politically, of course, physically now, right? We closed our borders off. You know, Taiwan is very resilient in that in that way. They're able to produce from nothing and strive and persevere. You're working with the travel ministry, the tourism. Is it called the Tourism Bureau or Tourism Ministry? Tourism Bureau, mm-hmm. and they're actually they're they're they they're split by area. Do you have access to other parts of the government? For example, um, you've done a couple uh, videos and tours with different Aboriginal tribes. I've read that there is a acknowledgement or a push now to teach Aboriginal languages, Indigenous languages, mm-hmm. school Indigenous languages. Mm-hmm. Is it offensive to say Aboriginal? Kind, I mean, no, no, no. Yeah, now the, I mean, now that now they say Indigenous. So. So are they teaching indigenous languages in schools or are they, is it like, what are they doing to help with cultural preservation or expansion or acknowledgement? In the, you're right. You're, you're exactly right. In the, in the tribal communities, their, you know, their elementary schools, um, it's a new thing. They are teaching their native tongues, right? The, the tribe's language every day in school. I, I do think the government is supporting it. Yeah. They have this new curriculum where, teachers are speaking in the native tongue to them. And of course, in addition to Mandarin and, and English. I just watched this whole documentary about the Paiwan tribe. Oh, okay. I'll send it to me. It was on one of the film fests. I'll send you the title. What I gathered was like, she's working in the city, but then her, her dad was the tribal chief and then he passed away. Mm-hmm. So she had to come back to basically learn and be the head chiefress. Mm-hmm female chief, <laughs> chief of the tribe. She had to go through crash courses with the elders on languages. She had to get tattoos because that's the protocol. You had mentioned earlier about the youth returning. I don't remember the phrase you used. Fanxiang means like 回家, right? Like young, like the youth. Mm-hmm. Okay, I had to look up the phrase. Fanxiang Fanxiang have you gotten to talk with them or like what's can you tell us more about what that what what they're doing what the process Mm -hmm. is or like what they're trying to learn or do or say to the world I don't know how to ask my question but I'm like I want to know more about Mm -hmm. like your experiences with the tribes I've mainly been to Hualien and Taidong areas where I think you know it's in conjunction with the government, like the local Taidong government, for example, is promoting these indigenous villages um, because what you know most of the youth is, are doing is they are opening up the villages to tourism, right? Like you can go, one really cool experience I had was um, you go and you learn how to fish with the tribe. You learn the way that they used to fish with like the nets and um, digging you're digging in the rivers and just like the most efficient way to do it so that you aren't like catching fish the whole time with your hands. Or um, there's another really cool experience where I learned how to make it's kind of like but they use rice. They usually use rice. So, and that's a very traditional technique and um, experience that indigenous people, they drink that right as their, their beverage. Right. It's so inspiring to see really, because it's, uh, I feel like a lot of the indigenous people, like they, they lack resources when compared to the rest of Taiwanese people, right? Just in terms of education, maybe, or opportunities, but they just, they have everything set up. They're like, you go to, you go to their village and they're like, oh, here's a DIY class, you know, let's do it. 
Let, let's let's walk through it. And it's so fun and intimate because they, they sing with you, like they teach you their dances. Do you think it's only for you because you're traveling to help promote it? Or is that part of their tour package? Or is that, are you kind of just shadowing them for a day to day? These are, they, these are like formal tour packages. You can find them online. Disclaimer, I did go right as a paid guest or not paid, but we call it like, it's like a fancy time. Like I'm on a media tour to help to specifically go there and help them promote it. When I didn't go as a media tour, it's like, it's the same thing. They, they offer the exact same service, the exact same friendliness and welcomeness. And so it's just been this movement, I think. Um, and not, not just with indigenous, like of course with indigenous people, it's really important because of just like the history and their strife on the island. But there's also other communities like um, in Nanto County, for example, like going towards Sun Moon Lake, um, there's a village called Jusan Bamboo Mountain, and there are um, also like Fanshan Qingyan. They go home and they just open businesses to attract tourists. Uh, for example, there's this one Taiwanese youth. He, uh, you know, he realized that the community is not really using bamboo the way they used to rely on it, like as as a resource for everything. And so he started making sustainable toothbrushes, sustainable hairbrushes, all from bamboo. And you can go there and you can try do a DIY, like learn about the village. It's it's really amazing. This whole slow travel, this whole going back to the going back to your hometown. I'm still learning about the history of Taiwan. Yeah. Um, but given that it's Thanksgiving in the US and mm-hmm. the Thanksgiving that we're taught in American school is a very uh settler oriented version and so there's a lot of corrections now in recent years about how it's a little bit more of like a thanks taking yes than a giving do you know about the history do the indigenous people of taiwan broadly speaking think of han chinese as colonizers or right yeah so no i think that's i think okay it's a of course like we don't speak on behalf of any indigenous people right (laughs) Even when my videos, when I share about their culture, I never claim to be a voice for them. And I'm not, I don't even like, I share because I want people to know about them. I want people to know about the experiences they have. But of course, there's always a fine line between being like the savior, right? Not not speaking on behalf of them, but of course, yes, indigenous people, right? They were persecuted and killed by every government that came into Taiwan, right? It was the Japanese, right? They killed them or made, made forced them to convert to their way of living and then with the KMT when the KMT came to Taiwan same thing it's like you know they took their land without asking they were pushed to the sidelines marginalized I'm taking this writing class right now we're talking about decolonization and so this is just top of mind right now are there conversations about reparations or are there conversations mm. about are there equivalent of Thanksgiving type holidays in Taiwan so Taiwan does have an indigenous day that recognizes the tribes. And, you know, the, the current president right now in Taiwan, Tsai Ing-wen, she is part indigenous, actually. And so she was the first president in Taiwan to give an official apology to all of the tribes in Taiwan. I don't know much more about, you know, what's happening with reparations. Um, I know that Indigenous people, they have they have representation in the government. Like there's an Indigenous council, for example. I'm not the expert. There there are experts here in Taiwan that you know speak specifically, write specifically about that. 
you know, it's, of course, it's like with my blogging, like just whatever I can do to help them or expose, you know, these amazing things that they're doing to the rest of the world. That's, that's kind of, I think, you know, what I can do. So I feel like I'm asking like really intrusive questions. No, you're not. No, these are good. I'm glad you asked these questions because in Taiwan, nobody can stop. There's like layers to all of it. And I, I, I won't even pretend to know that like, you know, I have no expertise. And yeah, it's no, it's good. I, anyway, I'm just saying that I'm thankful that you brought it up because nobody, nobody knows, nobody talks about it. Do you think that like, I mean, when I try to talk to my parents, it's just about history in general, like of Taiwan and stuff like it's just like something they don't talk about. And I just like, in my mind, I feel like most Taiwanese people just don't talk about history. And so, yeah. Do you find that to be the case, like either with your family or like with you being there? What I really want to do is have like historic fictions or more accessible books and mm -hmm. stories. Like I don't want people to keep being like, oh, I know where Taiwan is. They have really good Thai food. Yeah. Really? <laughs> so what's interesting for me is I've learned a lot of history through well, so working with the tour agency, like all of our tour guides are like so well-versed in Taiwanese history and they're like so passionate about it. So I learned a lot from them. And then my personal background is like, okay, so like I'm totally biased, right? Because my family, I don't know if you want to include this in your podcast because it might repel some listeners, but my family was persecuted by the KMT when they were living here on the island. They practiced a religion that was it was it was Buddhism, but it was of Japanese origin, right? It was like a, an active Japanese organization, and because the KMT had just like kicked out the Japanese, right? They they questioned my my family's loyalty because mm -hmm. they don't want any Japanese influence at that time. They're like, no, it's you know Chinese, right? And te technically, they're, they're all from China, right? right. And so my family was persecuted by the KMT, and so growing up, it's like those are the stories I heard. My dad is like, and like other people, I think other people say this too. He's like, oh, when we were young, like the government did a lot of brainwashing in schools. People weren't allowed to speak Taiwanese anymore, yep. which is really sad. And so that's my perspective. And then, you know, coming here, it's like, nobody knows about that. Like when I tell people that, they're like, really? I'm like, don't y'all know? Like, <laughs> that's kind of like. That's what, you know, the ho the holiday Ar Arba 228. Ar Arba. Oh, uh, I only found out about that a couple years ago when I read Green Island, which is a historical fiction. Like I heard about it when yeah. I was much younger. Same, same. And then I started digging into it. Yeah. Yeah. I did an article about that. Yeah. So it's like they, I mean, they celebrate it, right? But people don't, it's weird. It's like you would think the older generation would like talk about it because they saw it and they experienced it. But like, yeah. It feels very conspiracy theory. Like they had spies in California killing students that were oh the God. government thought they were going to overthrow the KMT or whatever. And they killed a couple people. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I understand like they probably still like living in that era or like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, that's what they grew up with. They're always going to be afraid of. So my sense is that for a lot of people who grew up in that era, politics is deemed quote dirty and people don't tend to exercise their right to vote yeah and you know what I, I i also tell people like it's like something you have to remember that like taiwan is such a young democracy right like the first time they had two party a two-party voting system was in the 90s right where you could vote and so it's very young and i think the concept too of democracy is 
taken for granted here. Like the younger generation, like a lot of them don't vote because they don't understand like how significant it is. When I talk to people in general, it's like the younger generation is at least more aware of the China thing. Mm-hmm. The younger generation, like there's been, they've been holding protests. So there's some kind of movement, right? And then there was the Fan Hong movement, you know, before the, the recent election in Taiwan. And, there was, and the, it was like pouring raining. Like, there's like hundreds of thousands of people just on the streets. Wow. And it's all, it's all led by the younger generation, for sure, for sure. But then there is, there, there are still those people that are like, there's still always the youth that's like apathetic. And they're like, oh, well, it doesn't affect me, so I'm not going to vote. And it's because they're not taught, I think, about the power of democracy. And like, you know, like, I feel like Americans, like, we're so like, yeah, you have to vote. It's our American right. And we have free, like, we're very proud of, like, freedom of speech. And so maybe it's just because the younger generation, like you said, they didn't, they didn't experience what our And they don't learn about it, right? Like, no. because they don't teach yeah. it in schools, because they just sort of deny not that really. it happened. No, I don't know if it's denial. It's more just like, like, oh, we moved on. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's not happening now. Never really paid much attention to politics until like basically this year. And mm-hmm. I realized I could get PBS on my TV, even though I don't have like normal TV. And so I was watching oh, cool. a ton of documentaries. I got like a huge documentary binge when COVID happened. And so like the Sunflower Movement, the stuff in Hong Kong, mm. like, all the uprisings, like the Arab Spring. Yeah. All of these different ones, they're all like youth led. Yeah. Even in the US decades ago with various types of LGBT rights or like pre-Black Life Movement stuff back in the 70s. So, so I totally like sidetracked that. Do you have other stuff you want to share for the podcast? Do you have advice for people who are looking to leave the career path as mm-hmm. however dictated? Question number one. Um, question number two, do you have reflections or learnings as you reflect back on the last couple of years of what you're really proud of in terms of like what you've been able to do either professionally or personally in this journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for people leaving, I don't want to just say career, like let's say it's a bad relationship or it's a, I don't know, it's anything that's not serving you. Right. Like you, you know, when something is not serving you, like we, we really do. It's just, it's you just keep fighting hard. it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and you can, and I think everyone, like, if, if you've ever been in that situation, you feel the conflict, right? You, it, it takes a toll on you, like, mentally, physically, emotionally. So what, to anyone who, who wants to leave something, right, call it something, it's, I think the, the most important step you can take is to just get out of the environment, right? Like, even, like, and that's, that's the scariest part because... But even if you don't know what's next or what you're going to do, how you're going to handle it, it's like you need to get out of the environment. Because if you're in the environment, your your old habits, your old thought patterns, like everything's just going to keep you in there. And it, it actually, you get stuck. Like it's like a this vicious cycle. So it gets harder and harder and harder. So it's like, leave it. So like for me, it's like I left the law and I just took another job, right? I took a marketing business job, marketing business role. I was still... It was still related to the law, but I wasn't practicing law. And that was so helpful for me because it's like, okay, I have space to think about this or I am away from what is causing me so much stress and like anxiety. Everything. So get out of it, whatever way you can, like whatever 
you know, even if that's like taking a vacation, a short vacation, like a staycation, or I don't know, taking some time off, you can afford it personally for yourself, right? It's just you need to get out of the environment and the habits. And then, yeah, for I guess what I'm proud of, what I've accomplished, you know, I didn't really realize until recently that people resonate with my story and that it's powerful to them or it inspires them. Because to me, it's, it was just like, oh yeah, that's that's just what I did, whatever. Just, that was just what I wanted, so I did it. Or that's just my own journey. Like everyone has their own journey, but to just realize that it's impacting people or at least it gives people something to think about. It's like, oh, I could, I could do that. Or maybe that's, there's a different way to do what I'm doing because this person did it. <laughs> I think that's been really just, I don't know, it's very fulfilling and rewarding. Definitely. I can, I totally resonate <laughs> and admire your, um, I guess your, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the guts to just leap out um, and just to know yourself enough to not have to put up with it for years. Yeah, and you know, that's the thing is like, people think that like, oh, you're so courageous and like, you're so, you knew yourself. And like, the thing is like, I, I, I didn't, I really didn't. I just knew what I didn't want. And I was like, okay, I'm leaving. And then, like I said, that's why I think it's important to just leave. I didn't know what was next. I, you know, I had, after that initial step, like I had career blunders. Like I was, un- I lost, I got fired from the job. I was unemployed. Just like you said, like during that very I was talking about how like I was so depressed during that time, like when I didn't have a job. It's like I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I wanted, but it's it's part of the process, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, and it, it feels a lot better when you look back. It sometimes sucks in the moment, but I think the hardest mm-hmm. part, at least for me, was in multiple examples of of leaving something that wasn't serving me or leaving something bad or toxic. Is mm-hmm. I think it's a lot scarier, like thinking about or like trying to predict what's going to happen than like actually just like taking the move and getting out the anticipation factor is always the worst I think that's why you just got to do it (laughs) how can people contact you or how do they follow you you know I'm always available on Instagram you can DM me you can follow me what's your handle attorney on a journey (laughs) Right. It's everything right there. Attorney on a journey. And it's all pictures of Taiwan. You know, again, with the whole video, like I, I would love for people to follow my YouTube channel. Um, it's also the English is attorney on a journey, but I have a, a Chinese name that um, my Chinese teacher helped me pick. It's called Sujia Qingxue. And I'll explain what that means. Sujia is my Chinese name, right? It's basically a play on words for this Changyu. Uh, the Changyu in Chinese is Jinxiang Qingqie. And what that means, uh, it represents a feeling that you have, a feeling of actually apprehension when you're about to go home because you don't know how much has changed. We don't have a word for this in English, right? <laughs> like, I, that's the only way I can explain Jinxiang Qingqie. So basically, I my Chinese teacher helped me take this Changyu and replace the characters and also give it a more positive meaning. So Sujia sounds like Sushang or su, like thinking of home, right? Like you're thinking of going home. Sujia sounds like I'm thinking of home. And then instead of Qingqie, it's Qingqie, which is 
Yeah, it's more of a positive connotation, more of a feeling of excitement. What that title represents to me is like, I'm personally going home, right? It's like, I came home to my motherland and now I'm exploring my motherland. But then it's also related to the, the content that I create, create, because like I said, a lot of it is about the like all of those people who go home. So yeah, that's the meaning behind the Chinese name. That's beautiful. Yep, so it's all the same. Uh, attorney on a journey. That's the name of my blog, <laughs> YouTube, and my Instagram. If people want to collaborate, what sort of collaborations are you looking for? Oh, um, I think I'm open to all and any, right? Like this, I mean, this, I consider this a collaboration, right? It's like we get to talk about life and journeys in Taiwan. So if anyone is interested in any of those things, yeah, please reach out. Don't be shy. Awesome. I so very much appreciate you coming to talk to us, Francesca. I thank you also for the conversation. Thank you, Cynthia, for this. This was awesome. Thank you for you know giving me another way to share Taiwan with the world. I think I've only done one other podcast, and that was more centered on just law, like leaving law. But this is my first one where I'm really like, sharing Taiwan and talking about Taiwan. So thank you for this. Absolutely. And I feel like I've unbared some muscle with you. Oh, good. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to. Awesome. Well, I'm going to let you go. I think we can do some other future ones. We can think of other topics if you'd like. I hope we can be friends. <laughs> and I feel like yes, so comforted likewise. by actually meeting you. And thank you for saying that. That was taking sweet. so long to get back to you and get no, over it's myself. <laughs> this happened at the right time. I'll stop keeping you. Thank you, Cynthia. Thanks, Francesca. Bye. Keep in touch. Yes, you student. And that's it for today. Please send me a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at TWDIASPORA or shoot me an email. It's hello at TaiwaneseDiaspora.com. And if you or other people you know have stories that they'd like to share on this podcast, please send them my way as well. Some of you have asked about how to support the show, so if you are inclined, go to coffee, ko-fi.com slash T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A to donate. And if you like to read, check out my book recommendations at bookshop.org slash shop slash T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A, and 10% of the proceeds will come back to support the show. All right, see you next time.